This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself. The cosmos is a way for us to know ourselves. The idea space makes consciousness as real as gravity. Clément de Krupp will revolutionize your understanding of the mind with his captivating scientific and mathematical exploration of consciousness. Infinite space of the mind mirrors the infinite vastness of the universe, and lessons learned from one can illuminate the other. The idea space helps us understand our true selves by lifting the veil of illusion. The book demystifies mindfulness through illustrations and engaging exercises that make it accessible to all. By examining our world's hidden truths, Decrop invites us to discover a genuine, harmonious, and sincere purpose for living. This truth is hidden in plain sight, which makes it all the more beautiful. The only thing you need to do is look. Valeria interviews Clément de Crop. He is the author of The Idea Space, The Science of Awakening Your Non-Self. Inventor and author, Belgium-born Clément de Crop moved to the U.S. at the age of three with his family. With a degree in mechanical engineering from Penn State, de Crop worked across the globe, including France, Spain, United Emirates, and then back home in the United States. De Krop's recently released book, The Idea Space, delves into the depths of consciousness by introducing a distinctive solution to Einstein's field equation to describe the mind, accessible to the layperson. In this literary journey, De Krop guides readers to view their thoughts objectively and identify their impact, helping them discover a happier existence and a deeper understanding of their life's purpose. As a resilient leadership adapter pioneer since 2018, Clement has shared his wisdom on meditation, sleep, exercise, and nutrition with thousands of eager participants in over 40 countries. His innovative spirit led him to collaborate with numerous inventors from Wikipedia's most prolific inventors list, resulting in 130-plus patent disclosures within one year, 50-plus filed, and 15-plus issued. Meet Clement at theideaspace.io. Here's the interview with Clement de Krupp. In your own words, who is Clement de Krupp? Fantastic question. So um, I'm an author, inventor, and entrepreneur, starting from the back. So I wrote a book called The Idea Space, Awakening, The Science of Awakening Your Non-Self, and it's all about uh, making consciousness as real as, as gravity. And to help promote the book, uh, I've released some meditation cards that are used to kind of ease yourself into the space and into that kind of mindset that the book promotes. And then from an invention standpoint, 
Uh, I used to work at IBM, and there I submitted a lot of patents, around 130 in a one-year span. And so I like to keep it fresh and get to work on inventions and just look at hard problems, try to solve them, and do it in a fun, unique way. Mm, wow. Yeah, that sounds really wonderful to me, to be open to life to the point of uh, living in creativity, not with, but in. So that sounds like a lot of fun. And with that in mind, how did you uh, come to understand yourself as this creative space, this creative being? Fantastic question. Yeah, I, I think when I was younger, I was called the Energizer Bunny. And I used to always just like turn around in circles with like a, a lightsaber pretending to fight these battles. And so I, I feel like in my mind, I always had a creative sort of spirit. And so I took that spirit and combined it with more of the scientific aspects and studied mechanical engineering in school because there is an art to sciences and engineering. And then I just kind of continued pursuing that. And after working for a couple of years, I kind of fell into a purpose gap of just trying to find my per bigger purpose. Like, what do I want to do with life? And so I could code, but wasn't the best coder. And I read a lot. So I decided to write a book. And so I kind of let my creative spirit drive the essence of the book and all the storytelling that goes into it. And a year or two later, here we are. Mm, yes. And I know the book, The Idea Space, The Science of Awakening Your Non-Self, is coming up soon. Do you have any idea of the release date? I would love to let the listeners know as well. Yeah. So the current release date is for October 10th, 2023. So coming up real soon. Within that, the framework, the main theme from where I could understand uh, from your work at the idea space, the book, the website, consciousness is the main theme. So what is consciousness? How do you define what that is? Yeah, that is a very hard question, and I tried my best to answer it in the book, and I view it. So you have this concept that's called an idea space, and an idea space consists of these elements that are your thoughts, emotions, sensations, and perceptions. And in order to view your idea space, consciousness is kind of like the light that is shined onto your idea space. So it allows you to cognize an idea space. So You can notice a thought, you can notice a sensation, you can notice an emotion, and just the ability to notice everything that goes on arise, around you is consciousness, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And, you know, my practices and my main interest is Advaita Vedanta. I said I would mention that, but I did. <laughs> Non-duality, which has exactly to do with that. <laughs> Today, yesterday as well, I woke up thinking about, it's not the, but how... Everything that I experience, what I'm experiencing now, it seems to be happening somewhere that's not in the body, really. It's whatever, as you said, is noticing what's happening here, the sensations, the thoughts, you know, the sounds, the feelings, the taste, all of that is happening somewhere, somewhere else. <laughs> that might be what we call consciousness, which is not the mind, right, Clement? It's not the same as mine. So you have your idea space, which consists of your thoughts, emotions, sensations, and perceptions. And your idea space has a couple key properties. So one of the main ones is that it has zero measure. So all that means is that your idea space just looks like nothing to everybody else. So for example, hold something in your hand, like 
for example, I'm holding like a card and clearly you can feel the card, you can see the card and other people can see the card. But if you close your eyes and bring a mental image of the card into your head, other people won't be able to see that picture that's in your head, right? But you can see that mental image. And so going back to what you're saying is kind of there's a dividing line in sciences between the science of objects, which is things we can measure like physics, biology, and chemistry. And then the science of the first person, which are for objects that have zero measure, like your idea space where other people can't see it. But just because it looks like there's nothing there doesn't mean there is nothing there. Mm. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. You know, this is a, a profound teaching or realization that so many philosophies and spiritual schools have been trying to kind of pass on to other people with the purpose of ending or lessening suffering. And it has not happened yet. We see, like in my case, i got to come from my own perspective, I've been a student of non-duality, of spiritual teachings, profound ones for so long. I still struggle with the um, putting everything together. Uh, let's say injustice, having values, and also when injustice is perceived, then there's always this impulse, this response to do something about it. Although I know I don't have to in, in order to suffer less, <laughs> would it be just better to let go and not do anything about it. I'm saying that because you do mention, I think this is the introduction of your book that you sent me. I know it's not out yet, but you sent me parts of it. And it said, uh, the failure to understand the connection between your mind and the universe can lead to a great deal of suffering. And then you say, whenever you attach to a specific thought, idea, or person, you are liable to suffer. And then you gave the uh, relationship example. And that's when that question came to me. And then I said, ah, oh, wait a minute. Let me just bring my own experience into this. So I'd love to hear from you, Clement. What is your best suggestion or your own experience with injustice? And what can we do about it? That is a fantastic question. And I think injustice is interesting because what may be just for one person may not be just for the other person. And I think it really comes down to an individual level of responsibility, of being kind to others and assuming good intentions. I feel like a lot of times we get caught up in the monkey brain of thinking of things that happened in the past of how we could have done it differently or thinking of making up fictitious scenarios about the future and assuming people were going out of their way to do wrong to us, which only leads to more suffering, kind of like you were saying. But then on a macro level, I think there's also a responsibility for organizations to protect the weak from being bullied by the strong, both physically and economically. So like if you take it for an example, at the start of capitalism and then with the rise of communism after World War II, unrestricted capitalism had little children working in factories for 18 hours a day. And that was terrible. And so just being able to put limitations in place to protect people who are not able to protect themselves, I think is really key. And I think that goes both on a personal level, but then also on a societal level as well. Mm, yes, right. I love the um, this insight because it is very much true. And I call it spiritualizing life itself in all areas. 
what do you call this? Um, I know it, it doesn't sound like a teaching. Sounds like more fun to me. <laughs> Looking at your website is like, oh, it made me giggle. And I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. But very profound, but fun at the same time. So do you plan to take this to um, to companies, corporations? And um, I mean, that is just came to me like as a vision. I know there are people trying to do that. Do you call this, what do you do, spirituality? That's a fantastic question. So for me, spirituality is similar to religion, but not exactly. I think Einstein has a good quote on religion. And for me, it's kind of, I'm religious to my unknown unknowns. So I'm religious to things I don't know that I don't know exist, right? Because they can still influence the way that we live our lives. And as soon as you realize that you know what it exists, that's when you have a profound change in your life. And so I think the goal with the idea space is really just to open up people's eyes to beauty of the world around us uh, and do so and get, just because a lot of these ancient meditative practices have been around for 2,000, 3,000 years. And I think a lot of people are skeptical of them just because there's a lot of woo-woo associated with them at times. And so hopefully being able to put it a more scientific kind of grounding to them opens people's hearts to explore them for their own and kind of I'm going back to what you said earlier of just alleviating injustice in the world. If more people have a kind and open hearts, then hopefully in the long run, injustice goes down. But the world is wacky, so who knows? <laughs> uh, yes, um, you see, that's why a lot of times I think about freedom itself, that um, what consciousness is, what this is, which we call life, it's freedom, is the infinite experiencing finite so it's like, oh, so everything's okay. From that perspective, everything is absolutely fine. It's almost like order amongst chaos. And, and it feels like that there's an order here. When we think about purpose, having the purpose of life or having this unique personal purpose, what comes to mind? What is, is what are you doing now? Does it feel like purpose? And what makes it purposeful for you? Yeah, another great question. I think when when you're growing up, you're just kind of thrown into the quote unquote realities of the the imagined realities of the world of just what's going on with different governments, different languages, different currencies. And you're kind of told that as an early age that all of that is like the truth, the end all be all truth of what is real in the world. And I think that builds your purposes and your kind of desires in a way, right? And just being able to unlearn a lot of the things that you are subconsciously taught from a long age, I think is liberating just because then you're, you don't get attached to a lot of the imagined realities that give you stress uh, just because you understand that they are impermanent, right? Another key teaching. And because they are impermanent, they're bound to change. It's like trying to hold water in your hand. If you try to hold it, it's going to slip through your fingers. So there's no reason to hold it but being humans, we will always hold it just because mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> we are humans and that's what we do. We like to attach to things, but then it's just the key to mindfulness is just coming back to the present moment, understanding what you're doing. There's a good quote by an ancient who said, short moments many times. And so that's kind of the, the life I try to live by. When we say the now, it kind of implies that there is a past and a future. And I, I try not kind of to lose touch with that too. What about if I am here it's spaceless here. What would that feel like? Um, it's freeing. It's like this instant feeling of freedom. 
Oh, no past, no now, no future. That's fun. But you see, from the human experience, it kind of um, it's almost impossible to stay within that spaceless space for too long because then we are pulled again by the mind to do this, you know, the obligations, responsibilities we have, and then everything's timed. The body needs to be fed. So it is, in a way, it's glimpses, right, Clement? We can only experience that, the non-self, as you speak of, and this freedom that I speak of, only at pieces. It seems like it cannot be experienced as a whole because then everything disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the glimpses aspect of it. It's just... That's what life is like. As soon as you think you have it, it changes to something else and you try to catch it again. But I think the key is to not try to catch it because if you're always trying to catch it, then that's kind of what desire is. And desire is the root of all suffering. So it's more so just letting it come to you and just taking it for what it is. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like um, lots of training. That's why you have created those beautiful cards. Is that the goal? Mindfulness, meditation? Or is this another component that I'm not aware of? Yeah, so that's kind of the the cards. There's two kind of separate decks. One of them is uh, quotes with a challenge on the morning side and then a quote with a reflection on the evening side. And that's just to be more mindful throughout the day. And then the other one is 100 daily meditations. And that's just different exercises to deepen your meditation practice across a lot of different categories because everyone practices is meditation differently. And I think that's the beauty of it. And just being able to experience diverse kind of mindsets really opens up the mind to what the world is and more importantly, what the world isn't so that your certain perception of the world doesn't consume you, right? And you're able to have more free and open conversations with people uh, and a more free and open perception of yourself so that you don't limit yourself in a way. The question is, is meditation for everyone? Or can't some people actually come to these understandings with clarity without meditation and mindfulness? That's a great question. And real quick, based on what you uh, said earlier, it can maybe think of a quote uh, that is, peaceful meditation does not require mountains and rivers. When you have extinguished the mind, fire itself is cool. So I thought that was that was nice. But going back to your question, I think meditation is for everyone at the end of the day. Everyone can do it. And it's people try to overcomplicate meditation, but it's really just like an on and off switch when you're being mindful. For example, when you're taking a deep breath and trying to notice where in your breath you feel it the most, that's being mindful. And then when you're not being mindful, it's just when you're letting your mind wander about the inaccessible past or the fictitious future. So I think it's for everyone. And then just... Finding your own practice is key. What may resonate with one person won't resonate with the other person. But at the end, there are certain principles to most meditation practice, like non-duality, like you said, and just understanding what that is and what that means for you in your life and how you can take that to live a happy life, right? Because that's the key at the end, uh, living a happy life. And if you can do that, then you've got a meditation practice on your hand. Mm, yes, right. I love the, the cards, though, the idea. I, I have them in my house, too, some meditation cards, and they really, really help. It's just a fun way of um, being in the moment, being present. 
And you don't have to be on your phone, which is nice every once yes. in a while. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, tell me about it. Yes, technology, right, right. Just touching something. Yes, uh, paper. There's something that you say that I, I wanted to, yeah, I want to talk about the framework of your book too. You outlined that in, in, in the um, introduction. But I love the quote that says, the true thing of things is not hidden. From ancient times until now, it has always been obvious. So, yeah, I would love to hear the elaboration of this quote because it's interesting the way it says it's always been obvious. So it's never been hidden. So how come, how could something obvious become a mystery for most of us or for all of us yeah. in a way? And that's one of my favorite quotes of all time. So I'm glad you brought it up. And I think the key to a lot of meditation practices, especially picking Zen Buddhism, for an example, is to achieve a Buddha mind. And a Buddha mind is essentially an awakened mind. But the key is that you don't awaken into anything special. You awaken into what is already here, which are just sights, sounds, sensations, uh, and perceptions. And so if you achieve some sort of awakening or you achieve some sort of enlightenment, then that's kind of semblance wisdom, right? The whole goal is kind of as Alan Watts says, who's a Zen master, that the Buddha is a man or a woman of no rank, right? He's not above like an angel or below like a demon. He's just a normal dude <laughs> or a normal dude. At, and there's a really good story from the Buddha around this so the Buddha was a real person for those of people who are listening who don't know much about the story. His name was Siddhartha Gautama around like 2,600 years ago. And so he, when he first had his enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, he was kind of preaching like, hey, come back to the present moment. And someone went up to him was, while he was doing alms, collecting alms, and was like, hey, can you teach me? I've traveled super far and I want to know everything there is to know. And the Buddha was like, hey, give me a second. I'm doing something. And but the guy was very persistent. And so the Buddha looked at him and he said, okay, in the listening, there's only the hearing. In the thinking, there's only the thoughts. In the seeing, there's only the scene. And the whole goal of that is just to show you that all there is at the end of the day are sights, sounds, perceptions, and thoughts. And those are like the basic elements of your idea space and everything that kind of progresses from there are sort of mental creations that we create. And so the key is going back to the quote of just the true thing of things is never hidden. It's always in front of us. It's always been obvious. It's just seeing is seeing, hearing is hearing, and sensing is sensing. And that re that's really all there is. And a lot of the mental conundrums that we create for ourselves are literally just mental conundrums and not real quote unquote things. And so just being able to understand that is it's like lifting a weight off your shoulders. Yes, liberating, right, in itself. Yeah. That understanding. Well and I, I remember something, well, my reference, yeah, I'm very familiar with the Buddhism and its teachings, but for some reason, um, I wanted to explore a different kind of perspective, and that is non-duality, Advaita Vedanta. And they, the way they explained this is that Consciousness, pure consciousness, and the mind, that they are two different things, although they are one and the same. <laughs> in a sense, everything that can be perceived, can be seen, touched, is the way you describe sensations, all that it's, um, is the mind, is 
the mind's world, which is Maya, which is it is the reality that we uh, that we perceive to exist, which is the universe. But what we miss a lot of times that all this is happening under the eye of our true self, which is the sun. They use the sun as a metaphor. So that's watch illuminating everything. Uh, a lot of times I just, uh, let's say, I let go of the feelings, of thoughts. It's easier for me to let go of, of a lot of that because when I turn my attention to what is perceiving those thoughts, my memories and the, the perceptions, the, the sensations in the body. So when I turn my attention to that, that perceives everything that's happening here, then that's when I know that, that that's what the mind, the mind is and that's who I am, the one who watches everything. It's not attached to any of it, but it engages with it, which is interesting. Yeah, there's like a good uh, little exercise where it's just asking yourself, is there a hearer doing the hearing? Is there a thinker doing the thinking? And going and shifting your awareness, like you're saying, to that thing and trying to find it. And when you try to find it, you realize that there's nothing to find and not finding is kind of the key. That's the finding in itself. Mm, yes, right. There's nothing doing the, the movements of the mind. There's nothing moving that making those movements, which is fantastic uh, when we think with the mind. <laughs> uh, it's fun for some reason. And then I, I asked, because I'm, I'm very curious about these things, and I kept asking questions and more questions the mind wanted to know. So how come? Is that possible to have uh, something that's infinite to split into finite and to become two, three in multiplicity? And the answer is no. So... The final answer with the Vedas, with the, the teachings of Vedanta, is that we are dreaming of this. So it's mm. kind of this, this absolute reality that where everything is happening under that. So it's like dreaming when we have a dream at, at night. Everything is mine. All the people we see, the things, the objects, that they seem very solid. It's actually a product of our own minds, the sleeping mind in, in bed. So that's what's happening here. They even say it's God's dreams. This is God's dream, which means it is a dream that's happening in pure consciousness, which is kind of a different perspective, isn't it, Clement? I don't know. <laughs> yes and no, but like at the same time, it's like, uh, so there's something in the book I write called the, the Sunset Conjecture. And it's this interesting idea that everyone's perspective of the universe is unique. So let me break that down real quick. because maybe a lot. So everything you see is in the past. So it takes time for light to go from point A to point B, even if it travels at 186,000 miles per second. So for instance, when you look at the sun, it takes eight minutes for light from the sun to reach you. And by the time that that light reaches you, you're seeing the sun how it was eight minutes ago, right? Same thing with the moon, same thing with the giant black hole at the center of the solar system of the galaxy, which takes 20,000 light years to get here. And so we're always looking in the past and the farther back in space you look, the farther back in time you look. So when you have the James Webb telescope that NASA recently launched, they're able to see some of the earliest stars by just looking really, really deep in space because you're actually just looking really far back in time. And so the big question is if we just continuously keep looking upward and just keep looking and keep, keep looking, 
And the farthest back that we can see is the creation of the universe itself or the hypothetical Big Bang. So have you ever been on the beach and when you're just walking, it's like sunset and the sun's golden rays just hit up right off the water, right at you. And it's really beautiful. But then you tell that to your friend and your friend is just like, no, you idiot. The sun's golden rays are shining right towards me, not you. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. <laughs> the key is kind of everybody's at the center of their own observable universe. And the edge of your observable universe is the creation of the observable universe because everything you see is in the past. And just like a sunset, everything in your observable universe is unique to you from a sun that's setting that's eight light minutes away to the outer edge of the cosmos, which took 13.8 billion light years to reach you. And the gravitational effects of the beginning of the universe are hitting you uniquely compared to me. And that's kind of going back to what you said about the dream that we're kind of living in. You know, I always like going uh, deeper in a sense of not that I cannot see beyond my own universe, <laughs> my own the edge, as you said, said of my own existence. But with this understanding, the question that arises is what you um, mentioned about suffering. So the failure to understand the connection between your mind and the universe can lead to a great deal of suffering. And I do see that the broader view I can realize, not even uh, create or, or trying to imagine, is just to realize in a sense, it's already here, and it's just, it's just a matter of seeing, being able to see it. Then um, it brings me a sense of peace, personal peace, and then that I can pass on to others. In my own dream, um, I'm speaking. So that's what, for me in Clement, it's what really mattered when it comes to your teachings, the beautiful work that you're doing, all the uh, understandings and the teachings that I've been through myself, it's just like, what is a, in a very practical way <laughs> within the dream, how can this, you know, really become a dream in a sense of having that inner peace being externalized so other people could feel it and could kind of benefit from it as well. I always wanted that happiness or peace not to stay here only in my own little universe, but I wanted to just kind of pass that on to others. So is that something that, in a way, it does feel like I'm, I'm deluded because there's no other, and I'm trying to kind of just thinking with the ego that there is others. But the truth is that from that perspective, there are others, and it's just different minds when I think about it. It's just different universes, different minds, but the essence is the same. It's not two. It has to be one the creation of all this, the ground for all this to happen. A couple of things that I want to pack that you said that were fantastic. The first is around understanding how your mind relates to the universe causes suffering. And I think the key there is, so to awaken basically means to develop an understanding of what the world isn't. And so if you have a certain perspective of the world, by learning what it is, you're just going to by default know what it's not. And the beauty of science is, is that it helps build a very specific viewpoint of what the world is in an endless cycle of conjectures and refutations. And then going back to what you said around, there's a fun meditation technique called the headless way that was developed by someone named Douglas Harding. In it, basically the whole point is that no one has a head. You're mm -hmm. not obviously decapitated, but you can't see your head and it's a fun little experiment. But going back to what you said is that 
everyone kind of lives in that blissful, headless state in their own little universe because going back to the sunset conjecture, everyone lives at the center of their own observable universe. So while imagine the observable universe is a giant sphere centered on you and my observable universe is a giant sphere centered on me, there's a lot of overlap in both those spheres, but there's just a tiny little region that's hitting you uniquely and a tiny little region that's hitting me uniquely. And I think that's what makes us human at the end of the day. Ah, yes, humans be human. And if there is one purpose uh, amongst this human experience, what would that be from your perspective? That's a fantastic question that I've thought a lot about. And for me, whenever I like think of something or someone says something that's really impactful, I write it down. And for me, the meaning of life is life itself. And that hit me like a year or two ago. And ever since then, I was like, aha, I got it. You know, in like two, <laughs> yes. three years, it's going to change. And I'm like, oh no, I have to think about this again. <laughs> uh, yes, it keeps changing. <laughs> That's what the fun is, yeah, right? exactly. In the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, otherwise it'd be boring. <laughs> yes, right, right. Exactly, right. I absolutely agree. So this constantly, I call it longing and curiosity. I don't call it craving. I have interviewed people who have used the word craving when it comes to desires, uh, learning something. and But you talk about cravings in a different way. I have a, a section here of the introduction in your book where you say the purpose of understanding consciousness as an idea space, it helps disentangle the persistent cravings and suffering tied to ego attachment. You talk about the cravings, the persistent cravings and sufferings. So how do we know the difference between craving something and being curious, longing for something, which to me feels differently? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's such a nuance distinction where the dilemma with craving is that it's a perpetual cycle where as soon as you crave something, it's going to take some time to get. And as soon as you get it, then you're going to crave something else. And then the cycle keeps long going. Whereas longing, in my mind, is more of this like ephemeral sensation of just something is going to be the way that it needs to be. And you're not really chasing it. It's just kind of the way the path of life is happening. And so you're not like craving it in that sense where you're trying to grab it and you're letting it come. It's, it's more so like you're being pulled towards it as opposed to you trying to pull towards it, if that makes sense. Ah, yes, I love that. Right. Yes. So it's some, it feels like a, the uncovering of something that's already here. So it's going in the opposite direction, right? It's not going towards it. It's kind of, it's already here, but it's, it has to be uncovered. So it's the longing of something that is already here, the desire to uncover what is already here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you just made me think about that now. When you look at the structure of the universe, you have a kind of like the hypothetical Big Bang that's kind of pushing you forward through time. And then we have this giant black hole at the center of our galaxy that's pulling us in. So in a way, the craving is kind of like the Big Bang that's pushing us out and we're trying to run out for it. And then the black hole is the longing that's pulling us in. And then we're just on this path that's just what we call life. <laughs> what is your relationship to feelings? as of now, when they are, let's say, intense, what is your response to them? So when you say feelings, are you talking more about um, emotions or sensations or a combo? Oh, what is the difference between feelings and emotions, Clement? 
In my mind, feelings can kind of have sensations grouped underneath. So like I feel a table in front of me, whereas emotions are more of this cloud of sensations that overwhelms the body whenever a particular thought comes into the mind. So you're talking about emotions, right? Yes, I would say emotions then in this case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So emotions are weird. They just come in. um, They're triggered by thoughts or external circumstances. And I think some emotions are pleasant and some emotions are unpleasant and some are neutral. And when we are not mindful of pleasant emotions, then we become upset when those pleasant emotions are gone. When we are not mindful of unpleasant emotions, then we're just upset because the unpleasantness just takes over. And when we're not mindful during neutral emotions, then you just build apathy towards the world. It's just like, I don't care. So I think the key is going back to what we were talking about earlier, being able to come back in short moments many times to just realizing, oh, this is a pleasant experience. Oh, this is an unpleasant experience. Or, oh, this is a neutral experience and then not getting attached to it and just seeing it for what it is without it letting consume your body because for example when I was like a junior in college there was a point where I was like you know what I'm just gonna let my emotions take control of me and just see what happens in my life and <laughs> yes. that was a mistake uh, <laughs> I just got yes. so stressed out and I was like all right never doing that again and so, yes. so I've learned my lesson I'm laughing but it's not fun or funny <laughs> uh yeah I have done that too it's funny looking back on it yeah. <laughs> That's interesting what you said. So my question is, who is watching? Who is making the decision to do something or not do something when it comes to emotions? Do you call that consciousness? Yes, I think that's, that's exactly what I was thinking, where you know, have that spotlight of consciousness. And when you're being mindful, you're putting that spotlight somewhere on your idea space. And as soon as you do that, uh, at least for unpleasant emotions, you can see the half-life of those emotions shorten greatly just by noticing it. And then I think a fun little exercise is to iteratively backtrack your thoughts to what like primary thought caused that emotion. Because as soon as you realize the thought that caused it, you'll notice that the initial thought that you had was didn't really cause that emotion, but it was the continuous spiral of all these other thoughts that ended up creating that emotion. And just being able to take a step back like, hey, and just like look at yourself in the mirror and laugh. There's a good teacher who I love, whose name is Joseph Goldstein. And he says, it's important to laugh at your mental foibles. So just <laughs> sure. just laughing at yourself every now and then because <laughs> it's funny. Life, life is a comedy. And then when you talk about the emotions again, you just mentioned the uh, being able to observe the emotions and instead of of living them or becoming them, which to me, that's the difference between mind and consciousness. Mind is everything that it's being perceived, tasted, all the feelings, all the emotions, all that is mine, all the physical things we see, all this is mine. And then there's something that is observing all this. It's, it's almost like existence itself observing what exists. That's what... Yeah, um, there's a funny... Uh... Do you know, uh, so there's a scientist, his name is Carl Sagan. And so the way that the universe developed is there was only like hydrogen at the beginning and then stars formed and was able to form carbon and a lot of the other materials. And so Carl Sagan said, we are all star stuff. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself. And I thought that was pretty Mm. funny. And in the book, I talk about that a little bit. And I also think the reciprocal is also true. So the cosmos are a way for us to know ourselves just because 
when you look back at like all the years of human evolution, they would always just look at the night sky for answers and they just had different perceptions of what it is. And I still think that could be true to this day, which is why people study the sky, right? We have astronomers, all different sort of scientists, and there's a lot of information out there to be gleaned. So they might be the true spiritual seekers, <laughs> right? The <laughs> scientists, yes. they don't know, but they are <laughs> the true, true spiritual seekers. <laughs> They're yeah, looking exactly. at the cosmos and the physical things to um, to know themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, interesting. Of course, because that's uh, the content of the mind. So they, they have to go deeper into it. And some people, they go deeper in different ways. From scientists, they go from, from matter trying to find consciousness. And some people, they, some humans, they just, for some reason, they take the shortcut. They go to consciousness straight up. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything's consciousness. That's it. <laughs> it's yeah. fun. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Clement, for being you. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know. This has been an absolute pleasure so far. I love it. I love what you're doing. It's uncovering deep, deep truth in a very light, fun way. That's what we need. Even to bring children, would you say that your work can be exposed to children? 100%. I think so. Like the book is maybe 250 pages with 250 pictures. And so if you love picture books, <laughs> then it's the book for you. <laughs> That's it. So children could read it too. Definitely. Are you planning actually to write a specific one for children? Did you think about that? Oh, 250. Oh, I like the 250 pictures, <laughs> but I know there's a lot of content there too, a lot of writing, right, that you have done. Yeah, and I think I will um, in the near future. Right now, the goal is get this book out, but as soon as this out, write a children's book, just because the illustrator that I'm working with, he's a star. Um, his name's Owner. He's, he's the one who came up with the little person, and then we had another designer named Taya who came up with the bubbles that were perfect and just I think I can't draw for save my life. And so <laughs> yes. just having the very fortunate that I've been able to find some very great talented people that have been able to work with me and willing to work with me to share this idea that I have and are willing to help me bring it to the world. Yeah, it's a beautiful idea. Really beautiful. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. So the website is theideaspace.io and there you see a lot of fun things. Um, I love, love the drawings and the colors that you just mentioned, the, the talented illustrators. They're just incredibly fun. You have the meditation cards there. We have t-shirts too. We have the book that's coming up October 10th. I made a note here. Uh, and there's much more that can be explored there. So I want to thank you again for your presence. And I do have um, these ending questions. Let me see. I have too many in front of me. I'll ask you this one. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Oh, man. I think success is always changing. Um, but for me today, I think it's the the primary success is happiness. And then the secondary form of success or to achieve my current goals, which are to gain financial independence through the book and the brand. And then the second is to hopefully travel the world and get to just meet different cultures and different people by speaking of the book. And hopefully, since the book has a strong scientific foundation, um, hopefully universities are excited to speak with me and more than happy to speak wherever people want want me to. Yes, I love your vision. I absolutely love your vision. Thank you again. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Mm, great question. First, realizing that I is an illusion. So the illusion of self, 
I think that's important for people to just let go of their ego. I think that's a really good important. Second one, oh man, this is a really good question. I had the first one ready, the second two are not. So I think two other experiences that I think would be really beneficial are to find something you're passionate about and following it. I think it's important for people to take a leap of faith and not just follow the status quo of going to school, working on a 95 and just sprint and repeat. And then the third thing I wish people experience would be to, oh, this is a, this is a tough one. What would you say? <laughs> what would you say is yours? I'm all about inner peace. So it has to do with finding that, um, knowing that you're enough, that this is, like you said before, I love the way it's, what, what's the purpose of life? You said life itself. So that you are life. We don't have a life. We are life. Kind of feeling that the sense of completion. You know, I'm complete. I'm whole. This is wonderful. <laughs> and it's not perfect. It's imperfect, but it's, um, this is it. It's almost like, um, as you have heard, um, I am what I'm looking for. Kind of mm. ending there, just stopping there. Just being there for every moment of our lives. Just whatever happens, you know that, that you are what you're looking for. Yeah, I think that's a perfect third experience and just being comfortable in your own skin. Yes, right. Feeling complete. We could talk for another three hours for sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So thank you again, Clement, uh, for your beautiful presence. Uh, It's very genuine, very light, as you're a beautiful representative of the work because it's just your presence is the same as the website and everything that I was exposed to. <laughs> There's no difference. It's like, it's very much in alignment. Uh, it's almost like talking to a child in a way, um, which is beautiful, like open to life. And then I also want to thank you for the vision you have for us human beings to tap into the true self in a sense of less attachment and know who we really are, which to me goes back to that same message of I am complete. I am whole. I'm fulfilled. I am life itself. So that kind of, you doing that in a very light, simple way per se. So thank you again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you besides your website? Are you on social media? Yep. So uh, first, thank you again for having me. This has been amazing and you're awesome. And for more information on me, the website is great. And then I have a Twitter at cream of the crop. So it's kind of a play on cream of the crop, except with (laughs) my last name. Um, And then also at the idea space on Instagram. So hit me up on those if you want to talk or or just. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile when the the interview is released. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. See you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Clement de Crop and his work, please visit theideaspace.io. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.